0: We all know for several years now that the Kentucky Wildcats are a very well-coached football team. But does the execution match the coaching? And if not, how can the Gamecocks exploit that? I'll discuss that today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Lockdown Gamecocks Podcast, your show as always for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecocks sports teams. I'm your host, Andrew Lyon, and I thank you once again for making the Lockdown Gamecocks Podcast. Your first listen or watch every day. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily. And on today's show, we're going to continue our discussion on South Carolina's upcoming opponent in the Kentucky Wildcats. For today's show, we're going to talk about Kentucky's scheme and execution on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball, discuss some of the things that they do formation wise and I'll also talk about some of the personnel I won't dive too deep into the offense in terms of the skill positions since I obviously addressed that a great deal on Tuesday's show but I will touch on the offensive line unit specifically on the offensive side of the ball and then for Kentucky's defense I got a pretty strong opinion about their lot of scrimmage play on that side of the ball as well and quite honestly after watching some of this film I think that South Carolina fans can feel a little bit more confident in the potential for South Carolina's offensive line to win more than their share of battles on Saturday night. So I'm going to be diving into all of that on today's show. So let's start with Kentucky's offensive execution and play calling. My overall point for this side of the ball. Kentucky is strong at the skill positions, as I alluded to on yesterday's show. But they're questionable up front in terms of their production and how they perform over the course of a 60-minute football game. And they run a heavy numbers game in the box when it comes to how they line up on offense. What I mean by that is basically they believe in strength in numbers, especially in the running game. Kentucky likes to run a lot of 11 and 12 personnel formations, sometimes even 13 personnel. And of course, with those numbers, I pretty much mean one running back in the backfield plus one, two, or even three tight ends at times in this Kentucky Offense. They run a pro style offense, kind of like South Carolina does, but they run a lot more under center single back formations. They also do have an eye formation, which they will use to try to get an extra lead blocker sort of out on a head of steam towards a second level defender or edge defender more often than not. This offense does use a lot of jet motion for being a pro-style offense. Usually, they'll take one receiver or tight end and move them to the play side of the field pre-snap, basically where the play is going, again, in order to have an extra blocker with a head of steam. And sometimes, they'll even run some power run type concepts with this jet motion, as they'll motion that receiver tight end to that side, and then once the ball is snapped, that opposite guard will then follow along in a pull block to that same side. So, they do a lot of nifty things with their jet motion and that includes every once in a while handing off the football to the person who is actually in motion, which of course When you don't see it too often in a football game, you get a little bit too complacent with the jet motion just assuming the guy's going to block. Next thing you know, Barry Brown is getting a handoff on a jet sweep, essentially. And all of a sudden, he's streaking over to the edge. The linebackers are frantically trying to run over there along with the rest of South Carolina's secondary. That's something that Kentucky will do at times in this offense. They also like to run some tight bunch sets in the shotgun, which I've talked about before. The bunch formation can be vital on offense in terms of really trying to set a mind game on the edge... For defensive coordinators. Basically, pick and choose how you want to try to defend it. Do you want to run man coverage all the way around? Or do you want to go soft zone and leave yourself open to potentially getting exploited in the short passing game? They will run a split back formation out of the shotgun at times as well. Once again, usually that second back that is back there with Levis and normally Chris Rodriguez or maybe Cavassier Smoke, they're typically going to be out there to serve as an extra blocker. They will try to establish the run game early and often, which probably doesn't come as a shock to most of you who have watched Kentucky play football for the last several years. But again, the difference between Kentucky's offense a few years ago and Kentucky's offense now is they will try to remain balanced as the game progresses. They will try not to rely too heavily on either running the ball or passing the ball over and over and over again. So that's pretty much what you need to look for in terms of Kentucky's offensive play calling. Now, looking at their execution, again, not going to dive too deep into this because I did this maybe with their skill position players yesterday. But Chris Rodriguez Jr., again, cannot emphasize this enough. He is an extremely tough running back. It is not easy to bring him down with one guy. He is not a running back that you can expect to try to stand up and bring him to the ground. You've got to have leverage. You've got to have near excellent technique. And most importantly, you've got to have a numbers game in your own right on your defense facing this Kentucky offense. You've got to have guys rallying to the ball carrier, rallying to Chris Rodriguez in the box, and you cannot allow him to just go one-on-one against a defender in which in most cases, he will be able to churn out a couple of extra yards after contact, which again, if that happens time and time again over the course of a football game, will add up on your defense and extend drives, so on and so forth. Well, Levis has a really solid arm. I mean, this is a guy that can throw the ball anywhere from, you know, 55 to 65 yards down the field. I'm not going to say he can do that on every single play, but he's got an above average arm in terms of his arm strength, and the thing that impresses me the most with Lil Levis this year compared to maybe even how he played last year is the velocity of his passes. That ball is fired out of his hand extremely quickly. He has quickened his release, which is something that NFL scouts love to see out of quarterback prospects, and he can put the ball right on the dot, right where the receiver needs him to put it. He can still throw the ball a little bit behind his guy at times but in terms of his intermediate to deep passing game yeah Will Levis is quite impressive in terms of his ball placement the arm strength and the velocity you can see all of that throughout the course of a football game so again not really a shocker to hear all that but Will Levis he is a decent quarterback he is an NFL prospect first round pick again I still wouldn't go too far but admittedly, watching the Ole Miss game, which was the film that I used to come up with all these opinions and these observations, uh, yeah, Will Levis has definitely upped his game from the 2021 season. There's no question about that. Now, let's move on to the unit where I think South Carolina could exploit certain weaknesses in this offense, and that is the offensive line. Left tackle Kenneth Horsey, left guard Jagger Burton, and right tackle Jeremy Flax. All seem to be weak links on this offensive line in terms of pass protection. In particular, Burton and Flax. Horsey wasn't too bad in pass pro. It might be a little bit much to ask him to block a defensive end or edge defender for like, you know, up to four or five seconds on a really deep Drop back play action pass. That might be one type of play where he can be exploited. Burton and Flax were far too often having a lot of issues keeping their man in front of them. And even if they were able to, I guess, quote unquote win their one-on-one, they were driven back pretty far into the pocket, especially Burton. I'm not trying to pick on him because I did see he's a true freshman. So obviously, um, This is life as a true freshman in the SEC, Burton. I mean, you know, this is going to happen to you when you face really solid teams like the Ole Miss Rebels this past weekend. But South Carolina could potentially have an opportunity to, again, at least get pressures on Will Levis. But the thing is, you're going to have to be able to condense the pocket in different areas. You can't just do really well on the edges, but not get any push on the interior and vice versa. You can't get push on the interior, but not get anywhere on the edges. I think that this is a game where Jordan Birch and Zach Pickens should thrive in pass rush. I think that Zach Pickens ought to be able to at least affect the pocket a lot and maybe have a chance to even get to Will Lewis a couple times. And uh, Jordan Birch, quite honestly, he ought to be licking his chops because Jeremy Flax, again, didn't look the most impressive in pass pro. And I've heard that apparently he might not be able to play in this game against South Carolina, which means they're going to have to go to another backup at that spot. They've had to do some shuffling on their offensive line because of some injuries so far this season. So if Flax isn't the greatest pass protector at that right tackle spot, then uh, yeah, we're going to have to assume just based on logic that the backup isn't going to be any better, if not worse. So again, Jordan Birch, this ought to be a game where you are able to just basically go ham in pass rush and light up the opposing quarterback. Uh, Burton, by the way, he's not the greatest run blocker either. Kentucky's offensive line is not terrible in run blocking, but I did kind of notice that it, they really need a little bit of assistance in terms of the type of blocks that they're performing, do a lot of combo blocks on the defensive linemen up front in order to try to help give themselves a little bit more of an advantage in terms of the leverage for rush lanes. So those were my observations on the offensive line. And one last thing, wide receiver Barry and Brown, again, not to dive too deep into this, uh, yeah, folks, he's pretty fast. He's probably the fastest guy on that entire offense, probably faster than Tavion Robinson at that slot position. Seeing him on the kickoff returns against Ole Miss, you cannot let this guy find open space quickly or else it could turn into an explosive play for this Wildcat offense. So those are my observations on Kentucky's offense in terms of their execution and their play calling with their formations and what they like to run. So what is it exactly that we could see from Kentucky's defense in both execution and play calling? I'm going to touch on all of that in just a few moments. But real quickly, I need to introduce to you all a new sponsor for the Locked On Podcast Network, our new partners in Nissan, who have worked with us to create a new segment across the Locked On College Network titled thrilling moments where we highlight the most exciting play from the South Carolina Gamecocks weekend contest. And this week's thrilling moment from the South Carolina Gamecocks comes from the third quarter of the South Carolina State contest where Spencer Rattler stepped up in the pocket, eluding pressure from his right, and fired a dart over the middle to Austin Stockner who fought through a Bulldog Tackler for a 15-yard touchdown pass, which not only gave the Gamecocks their first score in the third quarter, but also was a revitalization of the connection that Spencer Rattler and Austin Stogner experienced as a quarterback, tight end duo, and teammates at Oklahoma. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier Armada or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. welcome back to this tuesday edition of the locked on gamecocks podcast where we cover your south carolina gamecocks every single day all right so let's continue our conversation on how Kentucky performs in terms of execution and what they do from a schematic standpoint, looking at the defensive side of the ball now. Now, my overall thought with Kentucky's defense regarding their execution and the play calling is that Kentucky hasn't changed much schematically from the last couple of seasons. They're pretty much the same defense in terms of the formations that they call. But compared to years past, they have to scheme heavily to work around some production and talent deficits at certain spots, at least in my opinion. And their linebacker unit means everything to their defense. So let's start off with their defensive scheme. Kentucky runs mainly a 3-4 defensive scheme. Sometimes they'll run a 2-4-5, 3-3-5, or 3-2-6, and it really just depends on sort of the down and distance that Kentucky will bring each of these formations out. In terms of their coverage on the back end, they'll show cover for a lot, especially on first down. Running some man coverage to the strong side on shorter downs and some soft zone coverage across the board on third and short. Or any longer downs. Sometimes on third down, they'll run man coverage on the weak side of the field. And they'll also sometimes disguise their cover four coverage in a single high safety look. So they will move their defensive backs around a little bit just to sort of see if the quarterback is truly diagnosing and sort of paying attention to everything that's going on in the football field. But in terms of their coverage look, Kentucky's not going to change a whole lot with this roster that they have. In terms of their defensive line unit, they will run a combination of stunt moves up front at the same time. So maybe the defensive end looping around to where the defensive tackle just was as the tackle crashes outside. Or maybe the defensive end crashes inside to the guard and the tackle ends up looping around to where the defensive end originally was on the outside half of the offensive tackle. And Kentucky will run again, both of these stunt moves at the same time. Again, really just trying to gain any sort of upper hand that they can get on the opposing offensive line. And There's a reason why they do this, because I'm going to be honest, this defensive line, and this was the one thing that stuck out to me the most about Kentucky's defense, their defensive line, they might play physical, but quite frankly, they're a lesser version of Arkansas's defensive front that we saw earlier this year. They seem to struggle a decent amount up front in terms of their pass rush, especially when only bringing three. There was one guy on the defensive front who seems to have a ton of potential on that D-line in number zero, Deion Walker, who looks to be the best out of the bunch. The problem with that is he's a true freshman or a redshirt freshman from what I saw on Kentucky's roster. Another guy who at times was pretty decent in pass rush was number 52, Justin Rogers, who I believe was a highly tied recruit coming out of high school and is a junior now on this Wildcat defensive line. So... Getting Dylan Wonham back at right tackle, and it has been confirmed by Shane Beamer officially that Dylan Wonham and Darius Rush are both expected to play against the Kentucky Wildcats. Two big additions that the Gamecocks were desperately looking for. Dylan Wonham will more than likely go up against Deion Walker or maybe even... Jordan right at linebacker at times on that right side, who I'll talk about more in a minute. And Dylan Wonham, in my opinion, is a better pass blocker at this moment in time compared to Tyshawn. Wanamaker, the right tackle who has been sort of holding down that right tackle spot while Wonham has been out with his injury so that's going to be a key storyline to watch in this game now getting back to Kentucky's defensive line they also seem to struggle to have really any effect in rush defense what I mean by that is this they don't get driven back three four five yards they at least kind of hold their ground The issue is Kentucky just doesn't have a whole lot of difference makers on this defensive line. They don't have guys that are throwing offensive linemen off of themselves and getting into the backfield. They don't have a guy that can almost just stick an arm out and at least hold a running back off from being able to just burst through a gap. They don't have any difference makers up front. And in the SEC, you got to have at least one or two guys on the defensive line that you can consider a difference maker in that regard, especially in rush defense. Kentucky just doesn't have that. Again, they don't get completely stonewalled, but they just don't really get any penetration either. They kind of just, I don't want to say play patty cake with opposing offensive linemen, but that's almost what ends up happening with them, at least based on the Ole Miss game. So overall, this defensive line is not the strongest Kentucky defensive line that has probably been trotted out there in recent years. They might have a lot of potential with some of the guys that are in those position groups, but if they have potential, in my opinion, against decent enough competition, they're not going to show it very often. Now, against South Carolina's offensive line, Again, South Carolina's O-line has not done as well as maybe GameCock Nation would have liked to see so far this year, especially on perimeter run plays. So you probably still won't see them get a whole lot of success in that regard, especially with how physical and aggressive Kentucky's secondary is in terms of defending the rush on the edge. But I will say this, South Carolina, in terms of their offensive play calling for Marcus Satterfield, I think this needs to be another week where you call a lot of inside runs. I think South Carolina could see a ton of success with some of those power runs that they were running last week with Javon Gwynn and Nate Atkins going to one side of the field. I think even some simple trap block plays with the left guard versus Sean Lee would work just fine. In essence, I don't think that South Carolina has to get too cute here with this rushing attack and their game plan. Now, obviously, Brad White's a really good defensive coordinator. I talked about that earlier this week. So he would more than likely adjust to that if he picked up on those trends throughout the course of the football game. But in my opinion, this is a golden opportunity for South Carolina to get out to a good start in the running game and Potentially, maybe even try to dictate the pace at the beginning of this football game, which against Kentucky is something that is going to play a vital part in any game when you're facing the Wildcats. Now, let's move on from Kentucky's defensive line and talk about their linebackers real quick because their linebacker unit, it's by far the best unit on the entire football field for this Wildcat defense. Linebacker Jordan Wright was the player that stood out to me the most out of probably any defensive player when watching back their game against the Ole Miss Rebels this past weekend. He does a really good job in terms of sifting through blocks and getting to the ball carrier on run plays. And to top it all off, he's a solid pass rusher off the edge. He's got a really solid burst off the line of scrimmage, and he's got a decent little dip and rip move. So when he goes up against Dylan Wonham and Jalen Nichols or Ja'Kai Moore, whoever's going to be starting at left tackle for the Gamecocks this coming Saturday you can't take him lightly Jordan Wright's got a decent variety that he can bring in pass rush and he's a solid balanced linebacker and he was by far the most active defender in this Wildcats front seven linebacker Jaquez Jones is another guy in that unit who is pretty solid he's got a lot of experience that he brings to the field I believe he's a fifth or sixth year senior at this point And the one thing about him is this. He is a surefire tackler if he can get his arms around you. The knock on Jaquez Jones, in my opinion, is probably his sideline-to-sideline speed. He's not exactly a guy who can just chase down anybody going over to the edge. So, if Marshawn Lloyd or Juju McDowell, for example, could get outside of Jaques Jones, more than likely, unless the gap is already pretty small, Jaques Jones is not going to be able to catch up to them by himself. So, pretty much, if you can kind of avoid his general little bubble that he is sitting in, that he is squatted down in on a rush play, then you're probably going to be just fine. And based on that logic, he's also probably not that great in terms of pass coverage so in essence Josquez Jones he brings experience he's probably a very good communicator and he's a surefire tackler but outside of all that he could be a little bit of a weakness depending on the situation that is playing out during a play this defense again lives and dies by their linebacker play up front and they don't have a lot of difference makers on this defensive line. Now, talking about their DBs real quick, not really a whole lot of observations there. We'll say this. I think that the Gamecocks are going to have an opportunity against cornerback Carrington Valentine. I think he's someone that got sort of picked on in this game against Ole Miss, especially when he was in man coverage and wide receivers did any sort of double move or stutter type routes where there was sort of like a stop and go or whatever the case may be. Marcus Satterfield, if he picks up on that, I think that This would be a great chance to maybe put Antoine Wells or Jalen Brooks out wide. Try to put them up against Valentine. Maybe even Jaheim Bell as well. I think that you should be looking for wherever number 14 and blue and white is lined up at, because I think that that's your best bet in the passing game on Saturday night. And lastly, defensive back Jordan Lovett. He can shuffle himself out of position at times in rush defense. Saw that only once or twice in the Ole Miss game, but both times that it happened were for huge chunks of yardage, and one of them, I believe, even led to a Rebels touchdown which the Rebels did end up winning by three at the end of the day not saying that it was the biggest backbreaking play for the Wildcat defense but Lovett can at times put himself out of position just purely based off of the movement that he has when he's out there on the field so those are my overall observations on Kentucky's defense in terms of their execution and their play calling and I've been talking about a lot of things Football related for South Carolina recently. I got a really big basketball recruiting story that could be developing later today as the Gamecocks are gonna have a really big time target for the 2023 recruiting class on the men's basketball side announcing his commitment. So I'm gonna dive into all that in just a few moments. But first, I need to talk to y'all, of course, about our friends at Ben Online, who is one of the sponsors for today's show but online is of course your number one source for football betting info this season where you can find all the latest player developments team matchups news and analysis on every game you can find BetOnline online is your continued source for all of your sport wagering information with live betting and up to the minute score updates for every sport out there, they're the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite games and events, including the Major League Baseball postseason. Go Braves, by the way, mixed martial arts, boxing, and golf. So head on over to Bet Online on your personal computer or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action because, as always, Bet Online is where the game starts. Welcome back to this opponent breakdown edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your team every single day in just 30 minutes. All right, so I've talked a lot about football recently, and of course, football has been in full swing for well over a month now, but it's time to give some love to the basketball team, specifically for this episode, the men's basketball team, as Lamont Paris has a big target who is getting ready to announce his commitment later today at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time. The target is Jordan Butler, who is one of Lamont Paris' biggest targets, both literally and figuratively speaking, for the 2023 recruiting cycle, as he's listed around 7 feet tall depending on where you look online. Now, the thing about Jordan Butler is this. He's from the state of South Carolina. At least right now, he's in Greenville, South Carolina. He plays at Christ Church Episcopal School, where he's going to be announcing his commitment at their gymnasium. And he's a big-time prospect who is rated a four-star by almost all of the recruiting service websites. Now, in terms of his visits... He's visited Auburn three times, South Carolina twice, and Missouri once, and he took an official visit to all three of these schools, and all three of these schools are considered his finalists leading into this announcement. Now, I will admit, I do not have a solid read of where he will end up, but from the little bit I've been seeing online the last couple of days... It seems like it's going to come down to either South Carolina or Missouri, which for either program would be a really big deal because the thing is, this is a very interesting dynamic between both of these finalists as both South Carolina and Missouri have new coaches who are about to start year one of their tenure at their respective stop. Lamont Paris, of course, here at South Carolina and Dennis Gates from Cleveland State now at Missouri. And I have to say this in terms of this recruitment, there is one thing that I feel very confident in. I think that it cannot be stressed enough how much things changed in this recruitment when Gigi Jackson committed to South Carolina back in July. And this has been talked about on the show before the impact that Gigi Jackson could have in terms of highly touted in state prospects. Look. For those of y'all who are massive basketball fans, maybe some of y'all actually are really big NBA fans, you know, maybe you're a big fan of one of the, I guess, quote-unquote, blue bloods in college basketball, and you don't follow South Carolina basketball very much. Listen, South Carolina, in terms of high school basketball talent, is one of the best states in America. Okay, you cannot convince me otherwise. When you look at the long list of names that have come from the state of South Carolina, I mean, you've got NBA Hall of Famers like Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen, other NBA players, and Raymond Felton out of Latta, South Carolina. You've got, of course, Zion Williamson out of Spartanburg. South Carolina, who went on to Duke for one year and is now a star player for the New Orleans Pelicans. And you got Job Morant, who's from South Carolina, of course, went to Murray State and now is balling out for the Memphis Grizzlies. That is just the tip of the iceberg. And the point is South Carolina has been doing this for decades now. The issue is South Carolina, because of where they're located and the programs and the prestige of those programs that are around them. They've had a very hard time keeping all these guys in state and getting them to come home. Gigi Jackson could potentially start a domino effect with this kind of recruitment. There's no doubt that a guy like Jordan Butler took note of the fact that Gigi Jackson with his status and the cachet he brings to the basketball court, potentially being a future lottery pick in the NBA draft, going to South Carolina and deciding to stay here in order to build his own legacy and help to kickstart the Lamont Paris era. It's not like he's coming to a team that admittedly is expecting to compete for the Final Four. South Carolina's expectation is not going to be that in year one under Lamont Paris, which is why this is such a big deal, which was why Gigi Jackson going to South Carolina for that one reason alone was such an eye-opener to a lot of people. So Jordan Butler coming to South Carolina would continue the recruiting surge. And you get a guy like him, then what about people like Cam? Scott out of Lexington High School in Lexington, South Carolina. What about someone like KJ Green, who right now resides in Atlanta but grew up in the Midlands right here in South Carolina? This kind of recruitment, I can't stress enough how big of a deal this would be for South Carolina to get Jordan Butler. And while again, I can't say confidently that I think that he's going to come here, I think that South Carolina does have reason for to be confident leading into this announcement. So again, be sure to look out for Jordan Butler's announcement at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time. I do believe that the announcement will be on Instagram, live stream somewhere, whether it's on 3, I believe, with Joe Tipton or maybe on his own personal Instagram account. So either way, be on the lookout for that Could be a monumental recruiting win here for Lamont Paris and the South Carolina coaching staff. And, of course, if he does commit, I'll have another video that comes out on that later in the day or whenever I get the chance because, admittedly, I've been very, very busy lately with everything going on with both of my jobs. So, either way, that is going to do it for today's show, the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I hope that you all thoroughly enjoyed today's show, as always. What are y'all's thoughts on Kentucky in terms of their scheme and their execution on both sides of the ball? Is there something that stood out to you that I didn't bring up on today's show? And also, for you basketball fans out there, how big of a get do you think Jordan Butler would be for Lamont Paris' program and what he's trying to build here in in Colombia for the garnet and black i want to hear all of y'all's thoughts as always down below in the comments section if you're watching today's show on youtube but of course if you're listening to today's show on an audio podcast app wherever you get your podcast daily you can also feel free to shoot me a message at lion underscore sc on twitter and i'll be sure to respond to any replies or comments that you have for me as quickly as As I see him, and of course, if you've enjoyed the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, but you want to get more news on the entire SEC conference, well, go check out Chris Gordy over on the Locked On SEC podcast, where he covers the entire SEC in just thirty minutes—quite impressive considering it's fourteen teams as of right now in the SEC. And of course, he also gets some assistance from the local team experts of Locked On who cover SEC programs as well. So again, be sure to make Locked On SEC your second listen after a course the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But once again, y'all, that does it for me on today's show. I hope that y'all have a great rest of your Wednesday and I'll catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.